Welcome to the Doing Cool Things podcast, a career podcast brought to you by the Knowlton Center for Career Exploration. I'm your host, David Snyder. Thank you for joining today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Doing Cool Things podcast. I'm joined by 2020 grad Manan Ganirawala. Manan, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Currently, you are a product manager at Cyan Educational Services. Could you tell our listeners just what does that mean? What does it mean to be a product manager? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, first of all, David, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, so being a product manager in a tech company essentially means you're supervising various departments in the product life cycle. So with any tech product that goes to market, there are a couple of things that you work on in order to ensure that it's a smooth, efficient product with the latest and greatest features. Clients are being able to use that well, and any future or prospective clients know about that. So essentially, the role starts with a lot of product road mapping and strategy. Um, that basically takes a combination of hey, what's missing in the product today? What do our clients want us to add in terms of features and functionalities? Another couple of verticals might be uh, looking at competitors and see what our competitors are doing and are there any inspirational features or strategies that we can uh, borrow from them to add to our own suite of offerings? Um, And lastly, you look at the industry and see the industry trends and how it's evolving uh, more recently with artificial intelligence, a lot of integrations are in the works where you can really up the game and do something new that no one else is doing. Using all of that, you combine a integrated product roadmap and prioritize those into what gets done first versus later because um, at the end of the day, you want to do everything, but you only have a limited amount of resources in your hands. So prioritization is probably one of the most important things I do on a day-to-day basis. I have to ask, is this is this what you wanted to be when you grew up, or is this something that you kind of discovered as a uh, as a career path? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, when I was in high school and even a you know freshman in college, mm-hmm. I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. <laughs> um, I knew a couple of things. I knew I wanted to work in a big fancy glass high rise. Mm-hmm. Um, wear a ton of fancy suits to work mm-hmm. and earn a lot of money. And those Nothing were the only that. three criteria. Um, and I think at the time I was considering investment banking as a mm-hmm. career option because that's the one that fits those three criteria. And I'd spoken to a lot of colleagues and upperclassmen at the time who were kind of pivoting into that role. Um, I had a couple of really great internship experiences through college in finance and through those I realized that that's really not the best fit for me. Um, I wanted a more interpersonal role where I had more uh, communication capabilities with clients where I could talk to them, I could you know, give presentations, be a bit more interpersonal, use my qualitative skills in addition to my quantitative. Um, and I kind of pivoted into consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, and through consulting, I'd actually started in the company at Cyan as a business analyst, which was more of a rotational business analyst role working in different departments. I did that for a couple of years. And as I grew in that role, I narrowed my focus down to technology and I figured the product management path best fit my skill set and what I wanted to do in the future. 
it's great that you've been able to like kind of see some some different things through your experiences with internships, with with getting into the professional world. How, how have you taken time to like reflect on that? And like when it came time to make that change from like here here's what I'm generally thinking about. I want to try investment banking. I want to get into it. Uh, was there like an aha moment that you were like, not for me, like I want to start thinking about these other opportunities or was it maybe an ongoing process of, of reflection that, that you landed on that? The short answer is there was a big aha moment in my very first internship. So at the end of my freshman year, I picked up a summer internship in financial services. It was a two month long internship. And throughout that two months, at the end of it, I realized I didn't do anything to add real value as an intern. Mm -hmm. Granted, I was a young, you know, just sure. recently finished freshman, but all I did was get emails where I got my task list for the day and I spent the whole day mm -hmm. eight to 10 hours on mm -hmm. Excel. I didn't even know what output I generated at the end of it. And by that time, I'd kind of come to the realization, hey, maybe this is not for me. Um, I like being in front of people as well, mm -hmm. working with people, seeing the fruits of my labor, um, and also seeing the real world impact that my work would have on other people and other clients. So that's when I decided to pivot and explore other options. Mm -hmm. How, what, what were some of those steps that led you to, so it would it be fair to call Cyana an educational tech? company yeah what what stood out to you about education uh, and technology and having those two things really combined yeah so I mean there are a couple of factors that you know inspired my decision on that the first one was an internal my personal preference mm -hmm. I liked the idea of being in consulting working on different client projects and using my liberal arts skills I gained at Denison mm -hmm. um, in consulting when I looked at the whole industry as a whole I realized that the two biggest and quickest growing sectors were education and healthcare. Mm -hmm. In that, I wasn't as drawn to healthcare. I had a internship experience in the biotech consulting landscape, and as great as that experience was, I just wasn't meant to be there. Education was the other option. Uh, I also had the, I guess, fortune or misfortune to graduate in 2020 when mm -hmm. COVID shut everything down. Sure. In that time frame, education and especially ed tech was seeing a big boom as opposed to most other industries which were slowing things down. And that's when I found Cyana because they were aggressively recruiting. They had mm -hmm. a lot of opportunity and they'd grown exponentially in just a couple of months. And I had a couple of meetings with the management team there. Mm -hmm. I really liked what they told me about the company and where they were headed. And I figured out that that would be the best fit for me. Yeah, that, it, man, thinking back to 2020 when that happened. Like, what a weird time. Wow. <laughs> like, it, I mean, to, to be able to, to make that pivot successfully into um, a career path in itself is, is awesome. But I remember that spring, it was like, we're going to, you know, have an extended spring break. You were working in the Knowlton Center. And I then, was. like, we just never saw anybody, like, for 18 <laughs> months. So um, to find yourself moving into the professional world during that time. What what helped you get through that initial, like, it, it's scary enough sometimes for graduates to move into the professional world, but like to throw in global pandemic and a changing workforce and all that on top of it, like what, how did you manage that transition um, individually? Not well, looking back, it no. was a tough transition. <laughs> um, you know, ever since my senior year at Denison had started, mm -hmm. I already was 
you know, flying around the country, interviewing mm-hmm. at different firms, and I had a couple of things in the work, um, hoping to hear back from them after my final rounds of interviews, and then when everything shut down, you just didn't hear from anyone. Yeah. Um, at the time, I was still recruiting with very much more structured, big content major cities. And even when I asked for updates on my application, I usually got an automated response that, hey, we have a hiring freeze. We'll reconnect after the pandemic kind of smoothens out a little bit. Um, I was also an international student, so I didn't have the luxury of time of being able to take a step back and figure things out. In that time, I was staying with my host family in Granville, which program that the international students office did. I don't know if they still do it, but I had a really great host family who let me stay with them for the couple of months. Um, and they really pushed me to start no, uh, start networking locally. Yeah. In that, in Licking County, there's a great ecosystem of small companies that are more agile and much more friendly to talk to in terms of having that one-on-one rapport and not having the big structured teams where it's either a yes or a no. In that ecosystem, through a couple of mutual connections, I found my company and when I sent them an email to kind of connect and see if they had any opportunity, they were more than happy to set up a meeting. And that wasn't even an interview, it was more of a conversation like, hey, mm-hmm. we're growing and we're heading in a certain direction which is exciting and which we'd like more people to be a part of. How can we potentially work together to figure out a fit for you and have you be in the company and grow with it? Um, and as crazy as it may sound, after I met the founder of our company, he actually sent me a pretty detailed and long email expressing everything that they wanted to accomplish in the next few years. And he told me and he threw the ball in my court to say, why don't you take some time and figure out what you want to be a part of in this vision and then come back and we can discuss a fit. Okay, that's... How long (laughs) did you evaluate that and like how did you come to like where you wanted to be within that process? Well, first of all, I was completely taken aback mm-hmm. because that was nothing like any other recruitment site no, that they were part of. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have like a formal job description and it yeah. was like, this is the vision, let's make it a conversation mm-hmm. because my company was of the mentality that mm-hmm. as long as they are dedicated, motivated and hardworking, it's easy to find the fit. We had sure. so much going on, we could find a fit for good people. Um, I was very pleasantly surprised and a little bit overwhelmed. Uh, Understandably so. That's not a that, not the normal process, so to speak, when it comes to, to something like that. But I mean, it has to has to feel validating in a sense, and and also exciting to see a place lay out such a clear roadmap. Absolutely, as well. absolutely. And as exciting as that was, I took a couple of weeks, and when I met with the founder again, it was an honest conversation. There was yeah. a lot going on. I told him what I felt like I gravitated towards the most, and he was generous enough to offer me a position which was more rotational in nature, where I could dabble in different things, Mm -hmm. take some time to contribute in as many different verticals as I could, and then narrow it down, which I later did to technology. Yeah, yeah, those are rotational programs, and whether created for you or already structured, um, can be so helpful, right? Because like 21, 22, shouldn't really be expected to know what you want to do for the rest of your life or 
I'm sure that was illuminating, um, being able to see some of the different verticals. Was there was there one that stuck out to you that like, uh, I, I guess through that process, what what did it look like for you as far as like, I like this, maybe I don't like this process as much. Um, any surprises, I guess, is, that came about through that? A lot of surprises. I think right off the bat, it was extremely intimidating to be mm-hmm. in a group of people who really knew what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, the people I work with on a day-to-day basis have decades of experience on me and it's really, really cool to see how well they know their subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um, when I joined the company, I thought I could be like a consultant who recommends pathways to different clients, but very soon I realized that to have your advice carry any weight and to know exactly what you're talking about, especially in the regulatory fields we consult in, that comes with a lot of years of experience and hard work. Um, so that was you know, probably not the best path for me to be in long term, but technology was the second big sector within the company. And as a younger employee, I dabbled a lot in technology. I had a couple of internships at tech startups, so I really could see a fit over there. Um, and it ended up being a, an honest conversation with the managers where we discussed the fit after a couple of years, much like we did when I first met with them. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing that's extremely atypical about our company. And I really like that because it never feels like you're interviewing for something or you're trying to sell yourself as something. Sure. It's always an open and honest conversation of, hey, we like each other. We both can admit that you provide value in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Now let's figure out what position or what role suits you the best so you can be happy and we can also benefit. Yeah, that's one, like, and that's something that, like, you don't get everywhere. And to have found that, especially so early in the career, is, is phenomenal. Um, it's so easy to kind of get sucked up in that day-to-day that, like, people don't have those conversations with each other or like you feel like you need to be like a square peg in a round hole type of situation to to provide value and for the the company to really just embrace that says says a lot about their leadership style the company itself um you know i don't really have a point here other than that but (laughs) but to your point i mean with generally speaking i gravitate towards more flat hierarchy where even the youngest intern can feel like he or she can contribute as much as a senior executive Mm -hmm. i mean case in point last year i pitched the idea of starting a partnership with denison where we had an internship program the moment i said that the managers loved the idea and it was a go it didn't require you know weeks of approval or back and forth it was Hey, this is a really cool idea. Let's yeah. move fast and break things. That that's that, right, and we're we're glad you did. Um, you know, uh, and you know, obviously we can't plug the uh, the information session that you did yesterday here, but it was great turnout. You know, to see so many students interested in opportunities with your organization, and it speaks well to, to all the things that you're doing, like to have set up that internship program and. Um, you know, just the, those type of relationships are, are, are so powerful um, for, for Denison and beyond. Uh, I'd like to go back, you know, just to, to something that you mentioned earlier about being an international student and having that kind of additional pressure there. Uh, we, have, we have a large international student population here, as you know, and, and some wonderful students. Um, but I know that process is hard. How did you navigate that? How did you... Um, 
you know, in, in finding roles? Uh, who, who did you lean on? Um, you know, what advice might you offer to an international student about ready to, to go on the job search here in the United States? Sure. Um, you know, right off the bat, I'd like to say that the international students mm -hmm. office at Denison mm -hmm. and the Norton Center mm -hmm. do a phenomenal job. Mm -hmm. And ever since my freshman year at Denison, it's only grown exponentially mm -hmm. in the amount of resources and how well they target those resources. Um, I think the most important thing looking for a job as an international student is being able to keep yourself motivated mm -hmm. and not doubting yourself when you don't hear back or you hear back what you're not expecting just because of your visa status. Using the resources that Denison provides in the International Students Office and in the Norton Center is critical. Um, and at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. You know, if you plant your eggs in a number of baskets mm -hmm. while recruiting, you are bound to hear back from a couple of those and get positive responses. Other than that, just being confident in yourself. I remember as a freshman and a sophomore, I really didn't have the confidence that, hey, I can still be in the country and mm -hmm. add value after I graduate. That came from a lack of understanding of my visa status and mm -hmm. what my rights were. However, the more I found out about it, the more I understood I can still be here after I graduate on my student visa and work just like anyone else. So the responses I gave to those questions in my applications and in my interviews became all the more confident. And seeing that, employers became confident in my knowledge that I knew what I was talking about. And that's all that matters. Once you start working at a company and if you're adding a lot of value, any company would be more than happy to figure out a pathway to expound on that visa status and to help you stay in the US and work in an environment that brings you happiness and joy. Um, but taking that first step, having the courage to understand what your status is, how you can best use mm -hmm. it, and how you can kind of maneuver around any liability for the employer to show they feel comfortable is critical. Yeah, and, and you know, I would say I'm far from an expert in, in everything as it relates to visa status. I, I know enough to send people to the right, you know, offices here on campus. Um, and, and like you said, we have some phenomenal, phenomenal support resources there uh, for students. Um, did you did you find that that conversation with employers happened earlier or later in the process? It really depended on the employer. Usually with bigger structured programs in their applications, they had a couple of questions about your status. Mm -hmm. um, and with those applications, they usually had an automated yes or no based on what you responded. Mm -hmm. Early on, I used to respond no to do I have work authorized was completely untrue and I just didn't right. know it. But as I learned more about the visa process, I realized yes, I do have work authorization in the US and no, I don't need sponsorship. That depends on the major you're doing at Denison certainly sure. because STEM majors don't need sponsorship for three years Mm -hmm. which is a much more valuable proposition to employers compared to non-STEM majors. But um, just knowing that helped me get my foot in the door. And then through the interview process, it became an ongoing conversation, mm -hmm. depending on the company, obviously. But um, you know, once you cross that barrier, and once companies know that at least for three years, you can work there and add value, that becomes a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say that's one of the biggest questions I get is like, I don't know whether to click, do I have the right to work in the United States or not? And you do. Like, is there some additional paperwork here and there? Like, 
addition, I, like, I don't want to underplay, <laughs> you know, because there is, um, in some cases, a lot of paperwork either for the employer or for the student, but like, um, yeah, it's like, yes, being confident that you can, can work. So, and I will, and I will plug um, our International Student Service Office. If you have any, if you're a student listening and have any questions about anything in that process, please, please, please go see them because they are uh, tremendous at what they do and are just great people too so it's, uh, it's right <laughs> so um you know but, but thinking about denison a little bit more what, what were some of the like the most impactful things that happened during the course of your denison career um that have translated into the professional world any classes any um student organizations anything that that stands out to you there i could put the whole hour talking about this because <laughs> i loved my experience mm -hmm. in denison mm -hmm. um in terms of my classes you know i was a financial economics major but Funnily enough, the most impactful and my favorite class I ever took was theater. Um, I believe it was theater 105 with Dr. Bullock my freshman year. Uh, the reason I loved that class so much was because through the course of taking theater, I realized a ton I was doing wrong in terms of my soft skills. The way I communicated, mm -hmm. the way I even walked. I realized I could do that in a much more confident way and through the course of all my internships and my professional experience, that's been by far the most impactful advice of, hey, look up while you're walking, look people in the eye when you enter a room, um, you know, things like that. That was really impactful. And ever since that, my freshman year, I just doubled down on that. I tried to be as involved as I could on campus, to be a part of as many organizations, to really learn more, meet more people, grow my soft skills. Um, so one of the biggest things I did in college was being a resident assistant. I think they call it a community advisor now. They do, yes. Um, but I was a resident assistant for three years, and that was basically like having a full-time job while you're a student. It was tough. It had a lot of expectations and a lot of responsibilities. But at the same time, it taught me time management, probably more so than I learned anywhere else on mm -hmm. campus. Having the responsibility to be in charge of your residence hall, mm -hmm. maybe 20, 30 students at the same time, making sure you're building that one-on-one -on -one relationship with them, following up, being there when things don't go well for any of your residents, and really treating that as your family. It's much like running an organization. Because your organization is kind of like your family and you want to protect them and see them grow and flourish in whatever that they're doing. Um, so that translated pretty well into my professional career, that leadership ability, mm -hmm. even public speaking on you know floor events like that. And it is hard to manage your peers. So <laughs> that, that layer between um, <clears throat> it is not quite as thick as it is maybe between like, you know, professional administrative staff and students um you know when you when you are also a student especially when mm -hmm. your friends you know take <laughs> a room on your floor because oh, they yeah. know you're the RA yep. that's the most difficult yeah. but I mean then it becomes an honest conversation right. where they understand the position you're in and you yeah. understand the position that they're in and and you know you don't need to be uh hardcore taskmaster or anything like right. that, you can still be that friendly face mm -hmm. who's caring and a gentle and kind leader. Yeah, and yeah, and, and just have that communication that like, look, I have these expectations in this capacity, let's let's not abuse those. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, it, you know, you, you've talked a lot about like, just that like, openness and communication style. Um, 
what both in your role as a CEA through your time in college, um, now in your role at Cyana, um, was was that always something that stuck out to you as like I need to be in a place that really encourages this open dialogue, or has that just kind of been a natural byproduct of like you know you've just been in the right place at the right time? Um, curious how intentional that was on on your part. It wasn't intentional yeah. at all. I was lucky enough and blessed mm-hmm. enough to be at the right place at the right time. Um, just me finding my company and the people who run my company in the time that I did, sure coincidence, mm-hmm. luck, and quite frankly, a blessing. Being in college, being a student, trying to recruit or trying to find what is your calling, I didn't really know what I wanted or what kind of um, key skills within a company stood out to me as, hey, that's a good sign, maybe I should gravitate towards that. Mm-hmm. but through the experiences I gained, talking to people, networking with people, I realized if I don't work at a place where I can have a back and forth dialogue with my managers and with the management team, where it can really feel like they care for me as much as I care for them, I don't want to play, work in a place that doesn't have that. Um, and I think as, you know, as it works, the bigger a company is, usually, it's more distance and less mm-hmm. flat because mm-hmm. that's just what you need to scale up. Right. But that's how I found the ecosystem of smaller companies that really play well with each other. Um, and I was very pleasantly surprised because in the past two and a half years in my role at Cyana, I've been able to dabble in so many different things which I don't think anyone or which I didn't think I would be able to at any time, at least in the first 10 years of my career. So working in a small team, you really get that exposure, you get that mm-hmm. experience, mm-hmm. you can find what your target is and walk towards it or run towards it as fast as you can without any barriers. Switching, switching gears a little bit more towards the, I guess, maybe the personal instead of the, the professional lens. Like still, still through the professional lens. Um, curious, you know, if you, let's say, won the lottery tomorrow and had the opportunity to go out and do whatever you wanted professionally, would, would you start your own business? What would it be? What, I guess, what, what type of things do you find professionally fulfilling and how, how might you pursue those if there were no limits placed on you? Oh boy, that's a pretty interesting question. Um, Over the past five to six years, I've had a very big admiration of entrepreneurs, how someone has the courage and the willingness to start something from scratch and build it from there. Um, In the long, long run, I see myself being a good leader or you know, a venture that either accelerates the rate of improvement for civilization in the long run or directly impacts people's lives. Um, Currently in my role in EdTech, I think that's a good intermingling of both because you can shape how education looks like for future generations while also impacting current students across Mm -hmm. the US and the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would definitely like to start something with my lottery uh, spoils, if I could, and build a team around me um, 
I am biased to say I would keep it the exact same team that I work with today. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, being there and starting something and being present mm -hmm. with my experiences, my intelligence, mm -hmm. my hard work, mm -hmm. my work ethic, and seeing something grow from the ground up, that's where I want to be in the long run. That's excellent. Uh, you know, speaking of your current team, if you could, if you could switch places for one day with somebody um, else at Cyana, get a sense of what they do every day, who would it be? I don't think I'd want to switch places, no, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I'm extremely happy with what I'm doing right now, and I am mesmerized by what other people do, um, especially with our management team, the things they deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, the deals they work on. I can only imagine being in that stressful of an environment on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I'm extremely happy with where I am today. I never imagined I'd be a product manager just two years out of college, and as luck would have it, I have the opportunity. So I want to make the best use of that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. That's um, <laughs> a good good sense of like, just you know self reflection. And I I don't think there's ever anything wrong with just saying like I'm happy with what I'm doing. I can keep learning, keep growing, and you know what come come what may you know later down the line. But um, embracing that moment in time where you're at is is very powerful. Um, how do you keep up to date on current trends in your industry? Are there any resources that you check in with? Um, you know, are you scouring the internet every morning? What, what's just keeping up to date and being a professional mean to you? That's one of the most important things in technology mm -hmm. because the tech life cycle mm -hmm. and what constitutes news is extremely rapid. Yeah. And in technology, old is just six months old as compared to some other industries. So it's extremely important on my day-to-day -day responsibilities to keep up with the trends and see what's new and mm -hmm. how the industry is shaping up. A lot of that comes with just scouring the internet with what all, let's say, our competitors are doing, what some of the companies that change the shape of the world are doing. Mm -hmm. um, we make it a point to watch all product releases from major companies like Apple, Facebook, Meta, and mm -hmm. so on just to see what else is out there and how might that make us pivot in what we're thinking of mm -hmm. because the one thing you need to be in tech is agile. Yeah. You need to be able to pivot quickly based on some new trend. Um, just for instance, six months ago with our you know product timelines, we had a roadmap and we knew where we're headed. Yeah. But a couple of months ago, ChatGPT was released. <laughs> you know, I was gonna ask you. You, I, you read my mind. I was I was gonna ask how ChatGPT has affected some of these things because it's such a talking point in higher ed. And it really careers. is. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that it's completely gonna disrupt the course of education in mm -hmm. the next five to seven mm -hmm. years. And the best thing we can do is adapt to it and yeah. learn how to live with it because that is what the future would look like barring any regulatory changes that would prevent that from happening. Right. Um, but, you know, I was reading an article where the founder of ChatGPT said, when calculators came along, schools adapted to teaching yeah. math with calculators. Yep. It's kind of like the same thing. Um, so having these tools, not to eliminate the workforce, but to enhance the workforce mm -hmm. and make what humans do more impactful so that some of the mundane responsibilities are taken over by AI, I think that's going to be the way to go. Yeah, I, I agree. I like it's here. Like, yep. there's no going back now. So it's uh, yep. <laughs> kind of have to embrace that change as it as it happens. Like, I um, 
playing around with it one day, and I was like, write a resume for this <laughs> position for, and it like wrote a pretty yeah. decent resume. Like not like I wouldn't have submitted it, but like. <laughs> as a start for a student like oh it's incredible yeah like and that then becomes something that like come in talk to me about this let's talk about then how we add your individual accomplishments your individual impact your you know what what you're doing that separates you um professionally but if you don't know where to start it, yeah that made it accessible and i mean even outside the professional realm, realm on the personal front mm-hmm. um you know I'm trying to plan a trip for my mom to come to the U.S. in the summer. I just put that in the platform and it gave me an itemized hour by hour itinerary (laughs) of what to do when my mom's here. And I mean, the impact of that's going to be insane. Right. Yeah. Just from ideas that maybe you wouldn't have thought of otherwise, saving time, creating that itinerary. Uh, With one of my colleagues here, we were had it like create a meal plan and then like add recipes for that meal plan. And it was like, that's, you know, half an hour's worth of planning in a week, just gone. Like you don't have to do it because here it is. Exactly. And I mean, it's nothing like what, let's say you could find on Google today because Google just gives you access to a database of prioritized articles, Mm -hmm. but with chat GPT, it's just ground up. It creates something new on this part based on the inputs you put in. And I think ed tech and education needs to be quick to adapt and see how they can leverage that to enhance the quality of education or the type of education that is being imparted across the country. Yeah, that's, you know, from, from your view, um, you know, what, what's gonna be potentially the next major change in your industry in the next year, next three years, next five years? Um, you know, what's, what's the appropriate timeline to be thinking on and, and what do you maybe see coming down the pipeline? So there are two answers to Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I think in the immediate term, artificial intelligence that's here, that exists today. And we're already seeing a lot of the companies in tech and ed tech kind of move to adapt artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. But in the long run, I am very, very optimistic about XR technology. Um, You know, the other day when I was at the seminar at Denison, a couple of students told me in the chemistry department already, there are VR headsets that students use to kind of see how atoms and molecules interact with each other and play around with that. And I think that tech's only going to get better. It's facing a bit of a slump because of economic conditions right now, Mm -hmm. but with the hardware constraints being resolved in the next five to seven years, the software is only going to get better where you don't necessarily live in VR, right. but that's something you use to scale up to create that level of immersion and retention in the long run and gamify our content because mm-hmm. every kid loves playing video games and they remember exactly how to use the controllers, mm-hmm. how to go through the levels, and using those same gamification principles in education, especially with any sort of technical education, it's going to be a game changer. Yeah, and, well, and some of us at 33 still love playing video games, but no, <laughs> no. Uh, so, um, <laughs> but I think you're absolutely right. Like the implications of that, like it's so, can create such an immersive, different, new experience that like get on board or get left behind almost in a sense. But like, the, yeah, you know, I mean, whether it's science or history or um, you know, pick a topic, really, like and. 
the implications of that are really, really, really fascinating. It'll be really interesting to see how that that transforms over the the next few years. Absolutely. So, uh, as a as a former history major, that that like that to me like it would be such a interesting experience to be able to like essentially pop on a headset and like explore. You know, it wouldn't be a primary source necessarily, but like explore this thing from as if you were there. Um, yeah, like go to the Renaissance period and yeah. see how people lived, and it's all locked up in VR, and you can walk the streets and mm-hmm. talk to people and see how they interact with each other. I mean, the implications and the usage of that is crazy, and sky's the limit. I think the metaverse is still a very loosely used term, and people yeah. are still figuring out what that means and what Web three is, mm-hmm. but the early signs of where that's headed is extremely aggressive and that makes it more exciting. Uh, Just to share a quick story of a project I did Mm -hmm. within my company, you know, in in, in the corporate training realm, with any big shipping company like the Amazons of the world or the UPSs of the world, they have a ton of warehouses across the United States. In order to be able to operate these warehouses, you need to have staff who know how to use forklifts. We mm-hmm. work with such companies mm-hmm. to build a forklift training simulator in oh, VR yeah. to give that real-world experience to people. When I first put the headset on, I figured, hey, you're driving a forklift, sure. that's simple. But driving that to get a package dangling 70 feet in the <laughs> air when the forklift's shaking, that weeds out the weaklings, and I am one of those weaklings. <laughs> well, yeah, well, and like to be able to do that training in like a, but like in a safe environment where you're not going to lose product because somebody exactly. has messed it up. That that's huge. You're not like it saves on the overhead. Um, and just the insurance mm-hmm. liability yeah. for the companies because if someone gets injured or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, that's a lot of dollars that they have to spend. Mm-hmm. And that's just one application we're seeing today. The way that would evolve in the next five to seven years. Um, the form factor of the hardware would look much like the glasses that you and I are wearing today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once you get that in such a small form factor, that's when the masses will adopt it. It's not going to happen in the next 12 to 18 months, but definitely in the next five to seven years. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, I'm just fascinated by what <laughs> what could happen there. Um, though, if I remember right, like, was a Google Glass didn't have the most successful launch, so like yeah. taking some of the lessons from that to be able to incorporate, like, it'll, yeah, it'll be it'll be neat to see. So, um, you know, getting getting to to the end here, um, what what's a piece of advice you would give to a Denison student that's currently exploring career paths right now and is maybe not quite sure what they want to do with their lives either? What what are your best thoughts there? I think. Coming from a lens of personal bias on that, I think people shouldn't be afraid, especially students who were in my shoes when mm-hmm. I was a student, shouldn't be afraid to explore different alternatives mm-hmm. and not be bound by the rigid framework of, hey, this is what the right thing to do is. I just wanted to work in a big glass building wearing fancy suits. And I was pushed into an environment where I luckily got the perspective that there is something else out there in the startup ecosystem that people can explore. Mm -hmm. The more unsure people are of what they want to do, I think the more they should explore the startup ecosystem in the US 
it is extremely agile extremely flat and that gives you the capability to explore a lot of different roles because mm -hmm. in any small company even a new employee has to wear multiple hats mm -hmm. and that gives you the opportunity and the exposure to dabble in different things until you figure out what's meant for you and then mm -hmm. just hone down on that one thing for students looking to explore and, and like so networking was super powerful with what in, in your journey somebody that's nervous about networking how would how would you get them to, to take that first step I think just don't have any expectations of hey this networking call I need to translate that into a role mm -hmm. treat it as more of an exploration with advisors mm -hmm. Denison has a fantastic alumni network across the world I mean in some of the other cities like San Francisco Chicago mm -hmm. Austin Texas now the alumni networks and the startup ecosystem is really really bubbling and being able to connect with alumni and just getting advice, getting perspective of how they got to what they're doing today and how might you be able to take some inspiration from that, I think that'll help you connect the dots. Never have any expectation that if this doesn't translate, that's it for me, or this has to translate into a role because if you start networking and the more you talk to people, you wouldn't realize over the course of time when an opportunity presents itself. Mm -hmm. I've figured that more often people are surprised by the opportunity they get uh, yeah. because you're just having so much fun along the way talking to different people and learning from their experiences that that's just a byproduct of all the information you gain and the advice you gain. Yeah, it's almost no different in a sense than like the than as an education. You take a lot of different classes, you learn from a lot of different people. You can you can do that in the professional capacity as well. Go out, talk, learn, take notes. And at right. the end of the day, you make it your own because yeah. if you can't do yeah. that, then what's the point? Absolutely. <laughs> so, well, not I, I certainly appreciate the conversation, your time today, and really enjoyed it. And um, you know, can't wait to see the changes in in your career over the next few years. And um, you know, it's been awesome just to to see your success that you've had. And so, just want to thank you again for the time and your thoughts and wisdom and. Um, you know, hope to have you on the podcast again sometime. Maybe once uh, Chat GPT replaces my job. <laughs> so, Hopefully, right now, right. We love having you around. So, right. but thanks for having me, David. This is awesome, and I'm glad um, you know you're having the people on the podcast that you are because I've heard the podcast in the past, and my goodness, some fantastic people sharing their experiences. So. I appreciate you having me on this as well. Yeah, we've got some fantastic, fantastic alumni here at Denison, yourself included. Um, and so I think that's the, the perfect way to cut out here. If you are a fantastic alum, which you all are, <laughs> come come join the podcast. We'd love to share your story and share the current, um, you know, cool things that you're doing. Um, thank you again for joining me on. And in the meantime, everybody, keep on doing cool things.